Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. My co-host today is Nathan. Hello and thanks for having me. Today's topic, Hook, a flawed but enjoyable fairy tale. It stars Robin Williams as Peter Banning, Peter Pan, Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook, Julia Roberts as Tinkerbell, Bob Hoskins as Mr. Smee, and Maggie Smith as Granny Wendy. It acts as a sequel of sorts to J.M. Barry's 1911 novel, Peter and Wendy, focusing on an adult Peter Pan who has forgotten all about his childhood. In his new life, he is known as Peter Banning, a successful but unimaginative and workaholic lawyer with wife, Wendy's granddaughter, and two children. However, when Captain Hook, the enemy of his past, kidnaps his children, he returns to Neverland to save them. Along the journey, he reclaims the memories of his past and becomes a better person. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. I appreciate I just set up the whole movie there, but I just wanted to I was just going to say, well, that was a great review. That was the shortest <laughs> review we've ever had. That's not a review. That's you not just film. told me the whole movie. Well, yes, because we're here. we're here to talk about the whole movie. I just, yeah, I just wanted to get it out of the way. I mean, come on. We've all seen this yeah. movie, this Sorry, classic movie from 1991. In all seriousness, I'm so glad that you um you asked me to cover this film because I my roots to it go way back as a child. I loved it. I absolutely I've never, I've always loved how enchanting it is. My earliest memory of it was my my nan took me to see it in the city. My nan took me and my sister to see it in the movies in the city at Piccadilly Arcade. Um and I'll never forget going there and seeing it with her. It was just the most magical memory I have. So I was I jumped in I jumped straight away to doing this. I mean, normally we like to hold our cards a little closer to our chest, but you've gone early, so I'm going to go early too. Do it, do it. I love, love this movie. And I remember we were looking at our next lineup of reviews mm. and we mm. were one short Unanimous. and I was trying to think like, what can we do? And there was a comic adaption of hook and i thought perfect let's do this movie but just hearing what you just said there like i i didn't know that i mean i knew what this movie meant to me i watched this film on rotation not like you at the cinema i've got to be honest i'm very envious of that in my household we got our very first vhs player and we had one vhs and and it, was movie. it was a gift from my nana. It was the first, the first VHS we had, and you know, over the years that collection grew. But it all started Absolutely. started with Hook, and I will say this: like to this day, mm. Hook is my favorite interpretation or adaptation of. Oh Peter. yeah, yeah. Completely agree. I couldn't, hands down, I couldn't agree more. It's one of the best adaptations of of J.M. Barry's work ever. It even and surpasses you know, the animated Disney one. It's like, again, like we, we just accepted it as what it was. Back again, in 1991, you watched it at the cinema. Later, I watched it on VHS, and we just watched it. But you've got to... Yeah, but you've got we to praise it. I mean, just think. like So it's like, okay, so... This is the story you know. Mm. This is what happened after. I mean, yeah, exactly. But it's, it's just, brilliant. It's it works good. I mean, we, we spoke before in a, in a previous episode about old school filmmaking, and this really harkens back to that. Granted, there's special effects in in here galore, um, but it's just you don't get movies like this anymore. Um, the thing is just so enchanting. It just really draws you in. Um, it's immersive. Um, and it's just so heartwarming. It's just such a wonderful sci-fi, uh, a wonderful, sorry, fantasy. And it's just, you, you just can't help but be completely immersed by it. As a child, it's so, um, like the, the, the sense of wonder about it, whimsy. Uh, whimsy is the right word here as well. It's just absolutely through the roof. Well, I'm going to take you back 
Steven Spielberg mm. began developing Hook in the early 1980s with Walt Disney Productions and Paramount Pictures, which would have followed the Peter Pan storyline seen in the 1924 silent film, in 1953 animated Disney film. Mm. Mm. It entered pre-production in 1985, but Spielberg abandoned the project James V. Hart develops this script with director Nick Castle in TriStar Pictures before Spielberg decided to direct in 89. It was shot almost entirely on sound stages at Sony Picture Studios in Culver City, California. Released on December 11th, 1991, Hook received mixed reviews from critics who praised the performances particularly those of Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman, John Williams' musical score and production values, but criticised the screenplay and tone. Although it was a commercial success, its box office take was lower than expected. Despite its five nominations at the 64th Academy Awards, Spielberg came to be disappointed with Hook. Nevertheless, it has gained a strong cult following since its release and spawned merchandise, including video games, action figures, and comic book adaptions. Isn't it amazing that Spielberg spent the better part of a decade trying to get the project off the ground? And Mate, then he came back. To he, it. he believed in it so much. Until he made it. He hmm. has publicly distanced himself from this film. Oh, wow. Okay. Many, many times. I think maybe, do you know what? I reckon after the passing of Robin Williams, oh, I think yeah. maybe that did something to change Spielberg's opinion on this right. film. Mm. But, but again, like, you know, you watch as a kid, I watch as a kid, when we got swept away in the story, the magic and all of that. Mm. But critically, at the time, it wasn't, well-received. Mm. Despite deep love and affection from fans. Yeah. I mean, uh, wouldn't you think well, you would see how endearing it is? This film has garnered over the years of the film's release. It's appreciated a lot more. Yeah. If you look on Rotten Tomatoes, 29%. That's how low this film is. Oh, wow. I reckon wow. that is brought down by critics and not audiences. Honestly, yeah. during its theatrical release, this movie was panned by critics. But <laughs> the pun. <laughs> yes. But it was a Spielberg film. It was Peter yeah. Pan. So on a budget of 70 million. Box office, 300.9 million. So financially, mm. it wasn't a loss. But I think for Spielberg, you know, going back to Jaws in the 70s and all yeah. the success that he'd had. Yeah. This film, this film yeah, when this film came around in 1991, mm. critics weren't very nice about this movie. And yeah. Spielberg obviously but, I mean, took that to heart. Screw the critics, man. I loved it. Well, clearly me too. I, but, I, I loved it too. I mean, like the that that theme, the the score line from Williams is seared into my mind. It is like, like that was such a big part of my childhood, and it just listening to that score, even again recently, it just like I was like, I was loving it. I was on the verge of tears. I was just like, I was absolutely loving it. The score is incredible. Before uh, we get into that, it? yeah. Before we get into all that though. The plot. Yeah. When Peter Pan's children are abducted by Captain Hook, he is forced to return to Neverland. With some help from Tinkerbell and the Lost Boys, he must battle against his old foe to save Captain. his kids. Like, it's got everything. Go back to what Spielberg was doing in the 80s and not necessarily the films yeah. that he directed, but that he produced Goonies, Gremlins. Like, yeah. They had a particular feel to them. But I remember in the UK, the, the rating of Hook 
was a U, which is universal. And here in Australia, mm. the equivalent is G, general. So general audiences. Yeah. So anybody could watch it. So this was more than any other Spielberg movie. Yeah. A kid's movie. I mean, Goonies was a PG. Gremlins, I think in the UK, was maybe a 12. But a PG, yeah. there's like graphic imagery. But this was mm. a fairy tale. And yeah. it put so much of himself and his personal connections to how he enjoyed Peter Pan as a child. So yeah, he absolutely. put a lot of himself into himself this film. In the so movie. He was so invested. I could appreciate it not doing well mm. critically affecting him. But again, in later years, it seems to have come around. Come back around. To yeah. this film. I looked at it more retrospectively with a bit more favour. I mean, yeah. this is a film that he's got coming out, The Fablemans. I think it's out in the US already. We're yet to get it here in Australia. But that I mean, is strongly based on him and his parents. So that is a personal film. But this, back in 91, was also a personal film. And what he was focusing on was the troubled relationship between Peter and Jack in the film. For him, mm. it echoed his relationship ah, with his okay. own father. And if you look... At previous Spielberg films that explored a dysfunctional father-son relationship, including E.T., Indiana Jones, and The Last Crusade. So it, it There's always those themes of father and son, you're right. That's it. So it had always been there for him. So I can appreciate how he was yeah. hurt by this film based on the critical response. Yeah. Jack, or a father who was never there. <laughs> I mean, do you know what? This is the first Spielberg-directed film to receive a Razzie nomination. Um, no way. No that way. was nominated. Well, it was nominated Resin. for... It was nominated, that shit right now. It was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress in Julia Roberts. She just, oh, she just on Pretty, Pretty Woman. Like, she was on a high. Spielberg yeah. was on a high. And then this film happened. And then, yeah. Yeah. Can you think of a better actor than Robin Williams to portray a grown-up Peter Pan? No way. No way. I mean, look at how look at his sense of childlike wonder. Look at his like he's just his mercurial personality, just the way he had such a whimsy about him, the way he saw the world. And I mean, granted, he had his problems as an adult, but for him to be able to turn inward and, and try and portray an adult who's forgotten his childhood and then the joy in rediscovering it. But it, it was so good. It was so good to see the magic of Robin Williams on the screen and his manic persona channeled into something so inventive and wonderful and fantastic. He is perfect in this film. Oh, yeah. And I mean, again, this came out in 91 and then we've had many films since. Oh, we've, had the, we've had the MCU, we've had all these superheroes. Yeah, yeah. For me, in this film, Robin he Williams is Peter Pan. Yeah. The superhero. I'm calling that, absolutely. He, like, I mean, he's he was, he was my hero. Robin Williams was my hero ever since I saw, as a kid, ever since I first saw him in Popeye, the live-action version of Popeye uh, in the 80s. That, that is a exposure. good call. You know, that is my, something we've not yet got to on the podcast, which is yep. relevant. My first exposure to him was Popeye. And then this was my second exposure to him, Hook. And it, uh, of course, I'm not, not including Mork and Mindy, but that really solidified in my mind Robin Williams as my childhood hero. Not only because he could do all these amazing voices and amazing, these amazing impressions, which I've always wanted to do throughout my life, but just like how he portrayed pan in that movie was just so awesome and it just really resonated not probably not only with me but a lot of children at the time something that always sticks with me like there's something that his son jack is doing and he says something along the lines of like stopping childish or something like that and Mm. he's like i am a kid yeah like you know it's like dad i am a kid yeah i've got kids and i get it well i've got a five and ten Mm. year old and sometimes like they'll do something and you're like, why are you doing that? But they're kids. And that's what's happening yeah, in the movies. My son has got a daughter and they are kids. To, mm. to have your issue with them 
them being kids. It's like, yes, that's always stayed with it. I mean, there's that great moment where he learns how to fight, learns how to fly, learns mm. how to crow, and he becomes Peter Pan again. And it's interesting in that moment. He is reborn, but in that moment, he forgets about his son, his daughter, because yeah. he's it's the just Pan him being a kid again. again. Pure imagination. He's reminded, but he goes to save them. And there's that great moment where his silhouette is cut out of the flag and it falls down and it flies into the hole and it's really cool. But for me, my favorite moment of, and and it's because it's a transition, the favorite moment between Peter Banning and Peter Pan is when Mm. he's, he's at the table with the kids and they're eating food and it's imaginary and holy crap. The, the look of, Robin Williams, the expression on his face, the realization that he he sees it after flicking it for the first time. It's just look of why it's why you've cast Robin Williams in that film. For me, that scene is is why you cast somebody like Robin Williams because the character who he was, Peter Banning. And Peter Pan, like where those characters merge, like just yeah. that bit of connective tissue, it's in yeah. his face, and he delivers oh, yeah. it. Yeah. And perfectly. it just reminded me, watch, it made me a little sad to watch it too, because it reminded me how greatly he has missed, how sorely he has missed. And how Absolutely. Sad, like, how I, sad. Yeah. I shared with my kids recently for moving out to watch Mrs. Doubtfire. I mm. saw my, I grew up watching like Hook, Mrs. Yeah. Doubtfire. And I mean, come on, you, you could just keep going, like reeling off these, you know, All big great comedy films, animated yeah. movies, Aladdin, yeah. but then you can also yeah. go to films like Good, Good World Hunting, Vietnam, Good Will Hunting, yeah. Dead Poet Society. I mean, he is a talent. What's amazing about him was that what's amazing he do about it him all. is he's, he's using his life. It's almost like he's speaking to you, the audience, through through the magic of film and through cinema, and he's conveying to you bits of bits of advice in different stages of his life to you. And it's like, you're, you're getting advice from different, uh, different versions of Robin Williams at different stages of his career, depending on how he's delivering the line. But it's, it's, it's just interesting the way. Honestly, I was a kid like you when I watched this film. And now when I watch it, because I watched it again for this podcast Mm. and Mm. watch it, watching it as an adult, Criminally it, underrated. It hits different. Yes, it, yeah, is. Yeah. it is. And I am glad that Spielberg can now appreciate this movie for, mm, for, what, it, for what it is. see it, how we saw it. I mean, we, we are praising, we're praising Robin Williams, rightly so. Tom Hanks was Spielberg's original choice. That's who oh, wow. Spielberg wanted. He couldn't have, then. I don't think he could have. He couldn't have carried it the way Williams did. No way. It just... Do I like Hanks as an actor? Absolutely. It would have... Yeah, sure. I mean, we've... But do you know what? Mm. Look at Big. He did it. Hanks yeah. showed you how... He could be childlike. Adult, he can be childlike. Mm. Mm. So I can see how, when casting this film, that's what you would go to. Fortunately for this film, by casting Robin Williams, absolutely, he can do that thing that Hanks was doing in Big, Mm -hmm. but he can do so much more. And we're we're getting it on screen He's so expressive. His range is so expressive. It's A look on his face can say so much. Uh, The inflections of his voice can say so much. He can give you manic joy and, and an immense soul-crushing sadness in, in the flip of a you know the, the flip of a switch the turn of a dime but we need to also talk about the brilliance and the genius of dustin hoffman as hook i mean yeah absolutely yeah. dustin do. hoffman is phenomenal what Both i didn't realize though Justin Hoffman is phenomenal. But what I didn't realize, though, he isn't mm. clearly seen until 45 minutes into the film. That's yeah, because he's how, the headlining feature. That's how long you have to wait. 
Wait, that opening, yeah. though, I showed this film to my kids and I was wary because the scraping of the hook down the hallway oh, in Wendy's yeah. home, the, the duvet has been ripped from the kids' beds. I'm like, oh, this might be, might be a little bit oh, too true. much. But you know what, though? When the Bannings fly to England, the mm. pilot's voice is Dustin Hoffman. Ah, there you go. So before you get Captain Hook, something I didn't know. Forty minutes into the film, in the opening, do you know what? Do you know what he says? Mm. What? This is your captain speaking. Ah, that is clever. That How is perfect. so good. I, I never made that connection. How wow. perfect is that? Is before that, Dustin brilliant. Hoffman. They did go to a few other actors, including David Bowie, Christopher Lloyd, Donald Sutherland. But fortunately, they landed they on him. the hook. They got their man. Or they landed on. Well, well, <laughs> I meant to say they, they landed, landed on Hoffman, but I think I was right the first time. They landed on Hook. They got the perfect. Yeah, they casting. did. But what I love about Hoffman's portrayal is that even though he's an American, he's delivering Hook's lines through a voice that is almost. British thespian, you know, just very high society, sort of British. Uh, his accents are clipped and very posh. His delivery, you know, I love it. It's so good. My favorite line in this film to this in the film to this day is when uh, Williams is uh, as as Pan is trying to climb the net to retrieve his kids on the ship. He's like, "Someone give me a hand here and, and help." And Hook's like, "I already have." But everyone's like, "Ooh." <laughs> too soon <laughs> yeah yeah do you know what yeah absolutely Sadly. right like mm. as a brit i completely bought his tone is brilliant yeah completely bought hoffman as hook and i think what does help mm. and sometimes it can go the opposite way and have it be a yeah. detriment but the pairing of dustin hoffman and bob hoskins here we're getting hoskins as smee as his proper British accent, too. Proper British accent, and obviously he's playing it up a little bit. He's very cockney yeah. in, in his delivery. He's yeah. Peter Payne, all right. Well, that's it. That's yeah. it. In his pairing with what Hoffman is doing, it works perfectly. But yeah. sometimes that can go the other way, and the true Brit can show up the actor, and it just uh, doesn't okay. gel. But here, you'd be though, able to pick it. You'd be able to pick it too, because yeah, you're a British. Yeah, it mm. works. It works so well. Like I love Hoffman in this. Oh, I yeah. love Bob Hoskins in this. Yeah. Yes, he's Smee in Neverland, but in the in the real world, at the end, we see him as the sweeper in Kensington Gardens. Sweeper. Yeah, yeah, he's just a bum. Yeah, oh, which I thought was Brilliant. was very cool. I just love that the lines are so great too. That. It's not pan. So we've mm. got obviously these big grand sets. We've got yeah. the pirate ships. We've got all these extras, like all these pirates scattered around the place. Hoskins mm. bought beer for 300 plus extras after a lengthy and complicated scene was cut. Wow. Good on him. Hmm. That's incredible. I mean, that's pretty that's, awesome. I mean, expensive, but you know, it goes to show to his his it's good awesome. nature that he was willing to yeah. do that for everyone else on set. Sure. We've mentioned Julia Roberts already and her mm. unfortunate Razzie nomination. Mm. Tinkerbell, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like as a kid watching this movie, I wasn't thinking Pretty Woman. I was thinking Hook, and she looks yeah. different enough with her. Sure, hair. Excellent. I thought she, yeah. I thought she was great as Tinkerbell. Hmm. Yeah, she's good. She's good. Um, I, I, she sells it, you know, completely. Like you, you buy her as Tinkerbell, and of course, they use a lot of true photography, um, surrounding her visual effects and stuff. But, um, no, she's she's very she's very serviceable as Tinkerbell. She's great. I love the I love the scene where she first delivers, um, Peter to Neverland, and she's like. Oh, you know the way, Peter. First star to the right, second star to the left, or something like that. Second star on the right, and she picks him up and dumps him down into Neverland. That was great. 
she's kind of like his guide. She's he's she's his moral conscience and his guide, and she, you know, she's his entry point back into Neverland. And he thinks he's having a hallucination when he first sees her. He thinks he's like drunk too much and he's just bugging <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. And um, you know, when she's dragging him along the, the room and he's looking down at the dollhouse, and he's like, Oh, I've died. That's what it is. I've died. There's my feet. There's the house down there. I'm leaving. Yeah. It's great. She's good. Well, you've just said that. That was my mm. experience watching Julie Roberts' Tinkerbell as well. But mm. doing prep for this. It's always interesting when you find out things that you never knew. Roberts was nicknamed Tinker Hell, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> because she was On difficult set. to deal with in reaction to her working conditions of solitude mm. and green screen. So she's having mm. a bit of a hard time with this movie. Um, mm. It doesn't show, though. It does not show on no. screen. I, well, I guess that's, I that's the job great. of an actor, isn't it? You know? Yeah, no, it's, that's interesting. I did not know that tidbit. Do you know what? What, what I've always had because of this movie, like, mm. I was getting to the, the point where I was thinking, is Maggie Smith immortal? Because, <laughs> you know, you see her, like, in recent years doing things like Downton Abbey. Yeah. She looks younger doing Downton Abbey than she looked in Hook. In 1991. So for me, maybe she's been in Neverland. Well, for me, Maggie Smith, who I should say, Dame Maggie Smith, Mm. has just Mm. always been Granny Wendy. That's, I mean, Mm. this movie is the first thing that I ever saw her in. But Mm. at the time, she was only 56 years old. Well, but in the film, the character of Granny Wendy is 92. So they really had to put her under a up. lot of makeup, oh, yeah. prosthetics. But do you know what I mean, though? So in 91 or not too many years after that, watching on mm-hmm. BHS, she was this old lady, whereas in actual fact, she was a lot younger in real life. So that's why. That's incredible. Watching Downton Abbey. I don't like. Dude, they sold that so well because you, they you did. believe that she's an old lady in that film. I'm like, why? Why does she then look you see younger her, in Downton Abbey? Uh, yeah, well, in the flashback sequences where Pan keeps coming back to visit her every time, you see her as she really is before they make her properly old. Well, when you see her as teenage Wendy, it's Gwyneth mm. Paltrow. Yeah, that's actually Sarah pointed that out when we were watching it. She's like, that's Gwyneth Paltrow. I was like, holy yeah. shit, it is true. This was her second film. Crazy. So she has a cameo. Yeah, well, it was, well, I guess, it, well, not even, well, yeah, a small, I think back then, more of a small part. But if she was to do it today, part, it would but... be a cameo. But nobody yeah. knew Gwyneth Paltrow yeah. back then. Semantics, potato, potato. Playing Jack Banning, Peter and Moira's son, Charlie Cosmo. Other than this film, can't hardly wait. Teen comedy. <laughs> That's what I. It was in that. From. Yeah, he's in that. Yeah. Do you know who I thought it was <laughs> upon first glance? And I could be wrong here, but upon first glance, looking at him, I thought it was Haley Joel Osment. No, no, absolutely not. It's not. No, it's not. Well, it's, it's, so it's the kid from Can't Hardly Wait who gets very drunk. And there you go. Playing his sister, Maggie Banning, is Amber Scott. Mm-hmm. And is Moira, Peter's wife, and the kid's mum. Caroline Goodall. Oh, okay. Dante Basco. Rufy. Oh. Rufy. 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 Yeah. It was great. You know, there was he's so popular. There's in the early 2000s, there was a punk rock band or a pop punk band named Rufio in honor of him. Yeah. Yep. You know, a few years ago, I've got to be honest, I haven't watched it yet, and I'm going to, but I purposely didn't watch it ahead of this review, right? Mm-hmm. So 2016, which was the 25th anniversary, there was a reunion of Rufio and the other Lost Boys. They all got together, did a video, interviews, all of that. That's cool. But around about that time, and you can see this on YouTube, there is a 
Bangarang Hook prequel, which is a Rufio short film. Oh, wow. And it was produced by the actor playing Rufio. So Dante Basco yeah. produced this short. Wow. And you can check it out. And it's basically because the Lost Boys, they were from the world. Like, where from? Where, where from? Wow. But they ended up in Neverland. So you get to there see the origin of Rufio, and it plays as a prequel to this film. Purposely, that would be cool to watch, actually. Well, you can. I'll send you the link. Purposely held off right. before doing this review. But, um, yeah, Rufio, such a big character. I mean, without Peter, he is the Pan. He has Pan's sword. He's yeah. the leader of the Lost Boys. Boys. And he's like the, you know, the like he's a new kid on the block who inherits the sword when Pan leaves. And he becomes their surrogate Pan figure while Pan grows up, you know. You know, an interesting bit of trivia for you. The mm. line spoken by Rufio, you're dead, jolly man, had to be spoken backwards by Basco as the scene was shot and then played in reverse. So the sword blade would come away from Robin Williams's face instead of towards it. His oh, wow. actual line spoken was, Nah me, Lord, I heed Ryu. Wow. That's insane. I know you like your bit of trivia. So they, oh, yeah. That's there you cool. Go. That's my favorite thing to do is research really obscure <laughs> trivia, especially for music, like albums and stuff. So it makes sense that with like films, it should be the same. That's awesome. Well, you know what? I've got a bit more of a... You might find this interesting, some more trivia, right? And this is to go do... On. This is... um, And this is cameos. Okay, go on. In addition, a number of celebrities and family members made brief credited and uncredited cameos in the film. Musicians David Crosby and Jimmy Buffett Oscar-nominated actress Glenn Close and former boxer Tony Burton appear as member of Hook's pirate crew. Star Wars director George Lucas and actress Carrie Fisher play the kissing couple sprinkled with pixie dust. Two of Hoffman's children, Jacob and Rebecca, both under 10 years old, briefly appeared in the normal world. And screenwriter Jim Hart's 11-year-old son jake who years earlier inspired his father with the question what if peter pan grew up played one of pan's lost boys i do distinctly remember the couple sprinkled by pixie dust and they fly up in the air yeah but at the time i didn't know it was George Lucas and Carrie Fisher. And Carrie Fisher. I mean, that and is... it blows my mind. That is crazy. It blows my mind that Jimmy Buffett's in it. Because like, Jimmy Buffett was one of my dad's favorite musos. And it's, it's, it's so, seriously surreal for me to sit here and hear that. And Glenn Close plays a male pirate. But going back huh. to Carrie Fisher, what I found really interesting yeah. is that she did some uncredited rewriting of the final draft of the screenplay. Oh, wow. Wow, that's incredible. So all these who's who's are involved. I mean, I, the I think the the big one, like I'm sure like if you so like just say to one of your friends, hey, did you know that George Lucas was in Hook? I'm sure most people would say, no, they'd I didn't. Be like, they'd be like, nah, come on, you're having me off. Bull crap. He was. That's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. I mean, early on in the movie, as a detective in, I guess what they're calling the normal world. Mm. Phil Collins. Wow. He's the, the detective in the beginning that is investigating the disappearance of the kids. It's like as in the Phil Collins. Of Genesis fame. And of Phil Collins fame. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, solid career. Wow. He was, he was in this film. I think one of the coolest things about the film was the marketing campaign for it. It was the single image of the hook on the poster. That's all you needed to see 
they didn't need to do a big billboard with like everyone's face on it or, or anything fancy to sell the film. It was just literally the hook against a black backdrop with a bit of a, uh, a lens flare on it. I agree. Perfect teaser poster. I mean, keep in mind, this would have been two years after Tim Burton's Batman, which was just yeah. the bat symbol. And in the 90s, that's what it was about. It was the iconography of things. And the iconography of things was what informed you of what those things were and what they meant and what they were trying to say. And I think that's a love, lost art. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, yeah, love that teaser poster, but what really is a lost art? Drew Struzan. He did the poster, the main one sheet for Hook. Mm. And just the illustrated poster artwork is a lost art. Yeah. That the, the reasoning being that the studios think that audiences will think it's a cartoon. Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. What we get instead is a series of floating head posters, whereas back in the day, people like Drew Struzan were able to put together such a phenomenal... Elaborate art. ...poster. I mean, like, I mentioned it, I feel like, many times on the podcast. Big trouble in Little China. That's Drew Struzan. Yeah. Artwork like that, that is great. is incredible. But you're right, of that teaser of the hook. Yeah. Perfect. And do you know what? It really makes me pine for the 90s. I miss it so much. Me too. <laughs> I missed the 92. Yeah. So we can talk about the costumes, and there are many in this film. Oh, yeah. Elaborate. Without getting into the green outfit that Robin Williams does end up wearing, mm. we should mention his upper body and arms were shaved for this role. <laughs> He's a hairy dude. Was Absolutely. Good, Absolutely. You look at anything else that he's done, he's a heavy man. Not in this, though. Oh, yeah. Because he's a superhero. <laughs> he's Peter Pan. Exactly. That never occurred to me, you know. No, me neither, but I just thought it was interesting. Uh, really never occurred to me. Convention. Captain Hook's actual hook was largely oh. designed by Steven Spielberg. Production designer Norman Garwood and Amblin's prop master Mark Wade. Burbank mm. blacksmith Tony Swatton was then charged with physically crafting several versions. Some of them, though, were made of rubber for Dustin Hoffman's fight scenes, mm. which is good, which is good for Robin Williams because he yeah. was on the... You wouldn't want that thing slashing, yeah. Absolutely. But I thought it worth mentioning in there because we talked about how personal this film was for Spielberg. Yeah. For him to be largely involved with the look, like he was fully invested in this film. Yeah, and that's obvious. That's for all to see, that's obvious. It really is. And again, I've, I've said that he, he looks back on this film more fondly now. But yeah, this was such a personal it's film for Interesting him. that he he regarded it as somewhat of, a, of an ugly stepchild. And then he came to kind of, I guess, in his later years, appreciate it for the ugly duckling that it really was. The wardrobe department originally conceived of a much more elaborate costume for Tinkerbell, but essentially went for a more basic tomboyish mm -hmm. outfit when Julia Roberts insisted on playing the part in bare feet. There you go. I feel like that yeah. little, little point there is a nice behind the curtain. She had things that she wanted to do as part of this role. And being yeah. bare feet was one of them. But the look works. I mean, until this film, Tinkerbell was in a green outfit, a blonde hair. This movie... More of a tomboy, she's got the short hair, the brown outfit, but you yeah, do, yeah, it fits. You totally, yeah, you totally. She, like I said, she sells it well, and you totally buy that she's Tinkerbell. Captain Hook's hat has a special design on it the gold fabric triangles near the brim encircling the hat represent the crocodile's teeth, which foreshadows his demise. Interesting. He, oh, he has his big showdown with Pan. He returns, and even then, like Pan wins, mm. goes mercy. Hook doesn't play fair, 
and he's taken out by the crocodile who has been crocodile. made a monument of. That's right, because their sword fight takes them through the town and then uh, they end up in that big open pit where the, the crocodile's held, like boxed up or kind of bound. You know, I've mentioned it already. I mean, for the most part, this is a kid-friendly film. Like, watch it as a family. But going mm. back to the opening where Hook enters Wendy's home to kidnap the children, mm. just as Nana the dog is shown, she can be heard barking before waking Toodles. It's possible to hear Nana barking woof, woof, Hoof, hoof, hook, to which yeah. Toodles then awakes and starts to say, hook. hook. Mm. Uh, you know, we've said it in the opening before we even raised this film. I love it. Absolutely oh, yeah. love it. Because as a kid, like that generally is quite scary, that opening. Yeah. Just like Toodles, like you know from watching that original Disney cartoon and reading the books. Mm. Hoodles is a character, he's now aged, but it's just like I say foreshadow something around about the same time, like as he's saying to himself over and over, he's an adult, and he's saying hook, hook. And as a kid, when you're watching it, you're like, Well, you look to adults for protection, yeah. But he yeah. he's away, he's gone, like yeah. taken. So it's a scary opening there's still something of the child the big child in turtles yeah. yeah there's so much um thought been put into this movie that and so much detail crammed into it that even uh the complex psychological profile of the character is uh, you know is under the microscope what starts as being scary and dark mm. with turtles mm. skip to the end of the film Oh, and he's it's just the silliest, it is the silliest part of the movie because it's great we're led to believe that Toodles is a loony old man. He's lost yeah. his marbles. Literally, figuratively and literally. But he yeah. really did. He lost his marbles he really did. in Neverland and Peter Fine. I love that. A bit in Neverland where the kid <laughs> shows him the sack of marbles. Like, yeah, he lost them good, didn't he? He gives him back his marbles. Um, so good. When Peter is flying in this film, mm. yeah, it looks good. I mean, this was 91. It was 78. Yeah. Christopher Reeve and Superman the movie. Superman 4. It looks great. Late 80s. But in 91, we're getting more wire work. Robin Williams is on the wires. He's flying. And I agree. Oh, man. I love that scene where he's flying along and he, he spins around to face the camera and he's got his arms behind his head and he's just nonchalantly devil-may-care flying like he's having the time of his life. I love all of that. Yeah. Get to the end shot of Toodles when he finds his marbles and you get to see London, the Big Ben, in yeah. his flying, is doing the loop-de-loop <laughs> yeah, that was a bit. It looks a bit corny. Looks but you don't, corny. as a kid, you don't really care about that. You, you, you don't. You don't. Yeah. You don't. You don't look at that and cringe. You go, "Oh, come on, that's a bit crap." As a kid, you're like, "Oh, well, that's magical." Yeah, I mean, I, again, I I get it, and I, and I watched all those years as a kid, but just watching it now, it's just it's really disjointed from that footage. Yeah. Got. I know what you mean. Peter Pan flying. The movie hits different as an adult. That's for sure. You know the scene? So we got the tease of Hook in the beginning. Mm -hmm. It was terrifying. But then oh, yeah. later on, when he's on the ship and they're fitting his hook before. Oh, yeah. And he's going to. There's a burst of color. Yes. He's going to make his, his announcement to his crew. Mm. That, that shot, when he's getting his arm or getting the hook fitted. Yeah. It was done in one take as the flicker effect was achieved using rare single-use flash bulbs. God, oh, wow. Old yeah, school making. Not just pushing a button on a computer, old school. It's like we recently reviewed um, 
the first Highlander film. And yeah. you've got the swords and they are in battle and the, the blades are connecting. The sparks that you're seeing on film, the swords oh. were actually connected to car batteries. Insane. That's how wow. they made filmmaking. To back. get that effect. That's what I mean. Everything was so analog back then. Everything was so lo-fi. So if you needed to create an effect, you needed to use real world things and tools to make that effect translate to the screen. You didn't just bring it up on, on a friggin' tablet, you know? It's very, very different. Again, I think I've said it many times recently. We sound like old men when we're reviewing. We're old things, though. And it shows, but I love it. Let's talk John Williams. You've touched on his score already. Tugs at the heartstrings. He was brought in at an early stage when Spielberg was considering making the film as a musical. Oh, what? No. No way. Originally, that's what this film was. Oh, I mean, look, maybe some of the scenes, sure, but the whole thing I don't think would have worked as a musical. Well, composer John Williams and lyricist Leslie Grassus had written Mm -hmm. more songs for this movie later to be cut out and never used. For Mm. legal reasons... None of the songs written have ever been released nor heard since 1990. Even even on the original soundtrack? No, it's never been released, ever. Wow. Musically, score only. Keep in mind, at one time, this was going to be a follow-on from that Disney animated movie, Mm. but just in in live action. So there was various changes over the years, but at one time it was going to be a full a musical and potentially starring Tom Hanks. I mean, oh. I am grateful for the film that we got. That would, have, that would not have fared so well. Did you ever play the video game? No, I did not. It sounds familiar enough, but I don't have any <laughs> recollection of playing the video game. Sound familiar to me too. I don't think I did. A video game based on the film and bearing the same name was released for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System in '91. I mean, for me, it does the, ring a bell. Did, did you know that console as a SNES? Yeah, I, we called it a SNES. Oh, good. Because I spoke to another Australian, and apparently they said they didn't call it that. Yeah, we called it a SNES. It was even, you just called it either a Super Nintendo or a SNES. Yeah, okay. I only ever called it a SNES. It, it's one of those things from the UK when we to Australia. Sometimes yeah. I find differences. But anyway, like you I said potato, potato. You do it as that as well. Another game was released for PC and Commodore Amiga and is a point and click adventure game. So there you go. So video interesting games, that toys, comedy. Mm, the whole merchandise online. That's interesting it. that it never got a Sega Mega Drive release. Oh, it was before then. I mean, Mega Drive, what was 92 onwards when we got Sonic the Hedgehog yeah. and, and all of that? I had, a Mega, I had a Mega Drive, damn it. <laughs> I would have loved to play that game, but this is what it is. I had oh, so we, Sega, had the we had the Batman game. I had a Sega Master System, Alex the Kid, built in. Oh, yeah, Alex the Kid. And <laughs> Alex the Kid in Miracle World. And right then on, man. Sega Mega Drive, Altered Beast. Streets of Rage. Yeah, uh, yeah man. Old we're school. Right here to talk video games. <laughs> we're right here to talk Sega. There we are. But Hook, I mean, there oh, yeah. is, I mean, th- this is a big film, clearly, for the two of us from 1991. But if you're going to rate it out of five. Five. <laughs> Straight up five. Hard five. I mean... There's so many dimensions to this film. There are so many angles to it. I mean, I, I don't like. I, I don't know. Like, I, I could get really deep with it, and I don't want. I don't. I, I want to get deep with it, but I know that like your li- listeners will just be like, "Oh, don't get deep with this film. Just, just tell us why you like it." So basically, I mean, I loved it. it was, I prattled on about how much I've loved it ever since I was a kid. But uh, looking at it, and I still do. It has the same kind of magical enchantment about it. But that you loved as a kid. But looking at it through the through the lens of an adult. 
it it makes me look at life a little differently. It makes me look at things a little differently. And it's, I mean, I I had it in, I had it in my head before what I was going to say, but I've, got, I've forgotten. It's it's one of those rare rare things where I can't remember how exactly what I, I was going to put it so succinctly and beautifully as I put it before. But I guess it's to me, it's it's uh, it encapsulates so many emotions. It, it dredges in so many emotions in me, and uh, I guess although it's a time capsule for me, it's, it really is a time capsule of a memory for me. And, um, it just, it, it, it even makes you think about, as you get older, it makes you think about mortality and, and what, what, it, what that means. And the, the, the prism that you view that through, and, you know, I, I guess to get metaphysical, what if, what if death is like Neverland where we 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 just go back to being eternally youthful and eternally young, you know, it makes you think about things in a completely different context as, as an, as, as a grown man, but certainly as a kid, Love the hell out of it. I still do all these years later. Five, nothing less. I opened this episode with saying a flawed but enjoyable fairy tale. Not my not my opinion. Not my opinion. Seems to be the consensus of most people online. I I love this film. I absolutely love this film with all my being. It's my favorite interpretation of the story of Peter Pan. I'm going to come in at a five out of five. Now, could I step back and look at this critically? Probably. Am I going to? No. no. It's, it's a film that I have watched and loved for many, many mm. years, that first viewing. And it's interesting now, I mean, this came out in 91. When I watched this film, I was Jack. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we all were. Now I'm Peter Banning. I've got two kids of my own. This, this film means so much to me. It is mm. a fantastic film. And I've mentioned couple of times now recent years that Spielberg has come to grow to appreciate this film and I just hope that he continues to appreciate it more and more because yeah it is it's a really good film that ticks so many boxes and just a film oh, that yeah. works on so many levels and you can appreciate it from different perspectives whether you're a kid or whether you're now a parent. So, I mean, it has so many dimensions to it. It's a film that just keeps on delivering. And that like, this is the last film you and I are going to review for the year. Um, mm. It was released at Christmas time. So there you go. It did get... What an amazing bit of synchronicity. It's not by coincidence. It did get a December release. So there you go. That's incredible. Well, that's it for our episode all about Hook. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, and I'm glad I could give you a hand with this one. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. 